Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Michael Hatton on Parashat Vayera. Did you know that Pardes from Jerusalem is on Spotify? Subscribe today and get the latest episodes of the weekly parasha. Or you could visit elmod.pardes.org. Life's Concentric Circles God appeared to Avraham in Eloneh Mamre as he was sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes, he saw three men standing before him. When he saw them, he ran towards them from the entrance of the tent and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then do not journey past your servant. Let some water be brought to wash your feet as you seat yourselves under the shade of the tree. I will bring you some bread so that you might fill yourselves and then you can continue on your journey. Let me do so, since you have passed by your servant. They replied, Do as you have spoken. Ereshith chapter 18 verses 1 to 5. Parshat Vayera begins with a striking example of Avraham's hospitality. Though we don't know the exact chronology of the episode, we do know that it unfolds at the heat of the day. Avraham is already an old man, his wife Sarah no longer capable of conception, but neither age nor the infirmity of age will prevent him from welcoming the guests. Spying them from his vantage point at the entrance of the tent, the heat of the day heavy upon him, he runs to greet the strangers and then prevails upon them to pause for a meal. Though he only offers bread, in the end it is a banquet that he and his household set before them, all of it prepared with alacrity. Abraham hurried to Sarah, who was in the tent, and he said, Hurry to prepare three seahs of fine flour, knead it, and prepare round breads. Avraham ran to the herd, chose a tender and fine calf, and gave it to his servant, who hurried to prepare it. He then took cream and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it all before them. He served them under the tree, and they ate. The thrust of this opening passage is to highlight Avraham's noble character, to indicate that God's choice of him as the progenitor of the people of Israel is well-founded, and to impress upon the reader the great importance of kindness and compassion. Avraham does not act alone in his mission of benevolence, for both Sarah as well as the unnamed servant assist in the preparation of the meal. It's not only Avraham's personal character that is the subject of the episode, but the character of the household that he leads. But that's not all. Avraham and Sarah are part of a larger community, that of Elone Mamre. The Torah locates the stranger's visit at Elone Mamre, where Avraham and Sarah had first taken up residence after Lot had parted company with them in the aftermath of the shepherd's quarrel. At that time, the text reports that God said to Avram, 
Lift up your eyes from where you are and look to the north, south, east, and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. Abraham came to Elone Mamre, that is near Hebron, and there he pitched his tent, and there he built an altar to God. Chapter 13, verses 14 to 18. Elone Mamre, the plains of Mamre, are associated with a certain individual of that name, Mamre, whom Avraham later refers to as one of his allies. After Lod is taken hostage by the four eastern kings in Parshat Lech Lecha, a messenger from the battle comes to inform Avram, who was dwelling in Elone Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eshkol and Aner, and they were Avram's allies. Reshit chapter 14, verse 13. And after successfully routing the kings, Avram refuses the king of Sodom's offer of booty, but does assign some of the spoils to the cohort of people who accompanied me. Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre may take their share. The textual evidence therefore points to Mamre as being Avraham's ally and friend. Rabbinic tradition goes one step further. Not only was Mamre a political partner of the patriarch, but a supporter of Avraham's spiritual mission as well. The Midrash in Breshit Rabbah, chapter 42, section 8, explains, At the time that the Holy One, blessed be he, told Avraham to become circumcised, he took counsel from his three friends. Aner told him, you are already 100 years old. Will you then pain yourself with this? Eshkol told him, why must you mark yourself as different? You are among your enemies. But Mamre told him, the very same God who stood by your side at the fiery furnace during the famine and in the battle against the kings now asks you to become circumcised. Will you not listen to his words? The Holy One, blessed be he, sit, said, You, Mamre, counseled him to become circumcised. By your life, I will not appear to him at the palace of Aner, nor at the residence of Eshkol, but rather at your manor, as the verse states, God appeared to Abraham in Elone Mamre, as he was sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. In other words, the incident of the travelers who pass by Avraham's tent and are warmly welcomed by him, takes place within the community of Elone Mamre, where acts of kindness and concern for wayfarers are regarded as precious deeds. Avraham sees the travelers and he warmly receives them. Sarah and the servant are instrumental in preparing the overflowing table. The village of Mamre, of which they are a part, is proud of their magnanimity, and God graces the episode with his presence. So concludes what may be termed part one of the Parsha, the story of communal, familial, and personal kindness. But it soon becomes clear that these travelers are not typical men, but rather divine messengers in the guise of men. Suddenly they announce Sarah's imminent conception, 
Ominously, they peer out across the highlands towards the low-lying town of Sidom. Though Sarah receives their news of offspring incredulously, how she aches to believe that it is true. The traveler soon set out for Sodom, and in his pounding heart, Avraham now realizes with trepidation that they are, in fact, divine messengers that have been sent to destroy it. Standing alone before God, Avraham initiates a startling dialogue in which he argues with God on behalf of the city of Sodom and its satellites. The town may be wicked, but shall, but shall there not be found a small band of righteous people within it? Avraham approached and said, Shall you then angrily destroy the righteous along with the wicked? Perhaps there are 50 righteous people in the town. Shall you angrily destroy rather than forgive the place on behalf of the 50 righteous people who are in its midst? That would be sacrilege for you to do so, killing the righteous along with the wicked, so that the fate of the righteous is like that of the wicked. It is sacrilege. Shall the judge of all the earth not himself do justice? Chapter 18, verses 23 to 25. In this passage, another facet of Abraham's character is revealed. Standing before God, boldly struggling with him, Abraham appeals to the one thing that is as dear to him as life itself, justice. Though his nephew Lot dwells in Sodom, Abraham does not ask God for special favors and mentions him not a once in the course of his lengthy discussion. In other words, it is not personal interest that triggers his outcry, but only the existential dread of a man who has labored his whole life to teach others of the absolute God's righteousness and mercy. Holy serene in the face of such a brazen challenge, God secretly smiles. Here is the individual that I have chosen to found my nation. And what a superb choice he is. Or to quote from the Torah itself, God had said, shall I conceal, shall I conceal from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will be a great and powerful nation. All of the earth's peoples will be blessed on his account. I surely know that he will command his children and household after him to observe the way of God, to do acts of compassion and justice. Thus will God bring about all that he has spoken concerning Abraham. Chapter 18, verses 17 through 19. This concludes the second part of the Parsha, the story of Abraham, the champion of justice, who cannot bear the thought of innocent people being destroyed, who will not be reconciled to a God that could look on with indifference as righteous people perish, who endeavors without respite to inculcate his children and his household to defend goodness and truth. Chapter 19 now opens, but there is no division in the original Hebrew text to indicate a break in the narrative. The travelers arrive in Sodom at evening time and position themselves in the town square. In a perfect parallel to the opening of the Parsha, Lot sees them from his perch at the gates and rises to greet them, now bowing respectfully before them. Though any mention of haste is pointedly lacking from the description, he is nonetheless gracious. 
pressing them to accompany him home and to stay the night. Arriving at his household, he prepares a feast, baking matzot in their honor. Superficially, the episode seems to be a duplication of Abraham's hospitality. For Lot as well prepares bread and plies his guest with a feast, but something about the account is nevertheless unsettling. Though we know that Lot has a wife, unmarried daughters, and even sons-in-law, though it is already evening and the setting sun has cast sinister shadows across the square, no one else seems to be home. How else to explain the fact that Lot prepares the feast and bakes the matzot by himself? A careful reading of the verses in question reveals that he prepared a banquet for them and he baked matzot for them to eat. Chapter 19, verse 3. In contrast to Avraham, who succeeded in nurturing a household of kindness and compassion, Lot's benevolence solicits not a shred of familial support. He is alone in Sodom, his own wife and daughters, unmoved and perhaps incensed by his rash act of sympathy. To quote the colorful language of the Midrash that sees in the baking of the unleavened bread, the matzot, a source of great strife, matzut. Rabbi Yitzchak said, how harsh was the struggle over the salt. For Lot had asked his wife to give the strangers a little salt, and she responded to him, Will you then introduce in our town this ugly custom of guests? Bereshit Rabbah, chapter 50, section 4. No doubt the guests ate their meal in unnerving silence as Lot valiantly tried to make conversation, now pointing out the town's pleasant features, but all to no avail. Scarcely had the weary travelers began to settle down for the night when an ominous knock was heard at the door. Before they had gone to sleep, the people of the town, the people of Sodom, surrounded the house, young and old, the entire populace as one. They called out to Lot, saying, Where are the men who arrived by you tonight? Bring them out to us, so that we may molest them. Chapter 19, verses 4 to 5. In the mind of the travelers, the town of Mamre, though just over the horizon on the crest of the hill, must now have seemed light years away. Avraham's caring community, populated by friends and supporters, who not only countenanced his kindness, but also approved it, stands in blinding contrast to the vile town of Sodom. How emphatically the text indicates by the use of four separate expressions that no one in Sodom was absent that night from the spectacle of murderous immorality that was about to unfold. The people of the town, the people of Sodom, surrounded the house, young and old, the entire populace as one. Not only is this the antithesis to the account of compassion and kindness, that Avraham, his household and community, practiced just a few hours earlier. Lot heroically now attempts to dissuade the mob, even offering his own daughters. But the people of Sodom will have none of it. They said to him, out of the way, 
They continued, Shall the one who came as a sojourner now act as judge? Now we shall hurt you more than them. They urged the man, Lot, exceedingly, and approached to break down the door. Chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Recall that Lot had first met the guests as they crossed the town square, for there he sat at the gate. To modern ears, this expression is almost meaningless, but in the ancient Near East, the town gate was the location where commerce and politics were discussed and where justice was meted out. As the sages put it, when the text says that Lot sat at the gate, it indicates that on that very day, the people of Sodom had appointed him to be chief justice. Thus, we now have the perfect and ironic parallel to the story of Abraham's concern for justice that I mentioned above. Abraham had valiantly argued on Sodom's behalf, calling upon God to preserve the wicked, if only because to destroy them would constitute an injustice towards the innocents incinerated as well. But here, Lot, the paragon of Sodomite justice, must beg his evil townspeople for the preservation of the innocent souls that inadvertently stumbled into their midst and now stand in danger of being unjustly killed. God accedes to Abraham. The people of Sodom refuse Lot's entreaties, and thus their fate is sealed for destruction. What follows is the miraculous story of Lot's escape and the destruction of the cities, here broken up by the smirking laughter of his incredulous sons-in-law, who cannot entertain the thought of Sodom's demise and refuse to accept the warning that could have saved their wretched lives. How like Sarah's laugh at the Parsha's outset, but how unlike it. There she had laughed silently, but longed to believe in God's tidings. While here they sneer noisily and dismiss Lot's words with derision. Finally, in an unnerving parallel, the Torah describes the account of Lot's daughters conceiving and giving birth, much as it had began with the hope and promise of Sarah finally bearing children. Having escaped to the hills from Sodom's destruction, Lot enters a cave with his daughters and comes to believe that with the demise of his own personal world, the whole world has been destroyed as well. But what a twisted caricature soon unfolds as Lot is finally graced with grandchildren. These progeny are not the product of longing and heartfelt prayers, not the hallmarks of his aged, the hallmarks of his aged uncle and aunt's quest for offspring, but rather Lot's grandchildren are the incestuous outcome of nights of drunken debauchery. And with the fall of that grotesque curtain, Lot vanishes from the Parsha and is forgotten. The above parallels are too numerous to dismiss as coincidence, too striking to set aside as serendipity. The Torah intentionally asks us to compare and contrast the lives of Abraham, Sarah, and their community with those of Lot, his wife, and the churning cauldron known as Sodom. But to what end? In the Torah's worldview, the autonomy of the individual is paramount. 
a person is completely free to decide upon the moral direction of his or her own life, but is called upon to choose the good. As individuals, we alone are responsible for the moral decisions that we make, and we alone bear the consequences of those choices. How pathetic is the man called Lot, who sincerely wanted to emulate his righteous uncle and aunt, but failed, not because of a lack of will, but rather because of the broader choices that he had made, where to live and with whom to build a family. In the end, his world came crashing down, his family a devastation, his city a smoldering ruin, he alone emerging to end his life in infamy. How differently things could have worked out had Lot stood by Avraham's side and remained with him among Hebron's hills. No person lives life in utter isolation. Most of us experience its ebbs and flows in the context of a family. It therefore becomes our responsibility to not only strive for the good on a personal level, but to raise our families to do likewise. But that apparently is not enough. There is a communal dimension as well. The larger context against which the personal or familial events are played out, where we live and among whom often carries the day. As descendants of Abraham and Sarah, the Torah invites us to be champions of compassion and justice, the twin pillars of tzedakah and mishpat, upon which the mighty edifice of Jewish tradition rests. Though we must apply these principles, First and foremost, in our personal lives, we must not overlook their centrality to our familiar lo- familial lives, nor fail to apply them in our communities as well. The Parsha, then, sounds a cautionary note for us all. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast today. Be sure to visit us on Spotify, where you can subscribe to any of our other podcast channels, or visit us at elmod.pardes.org. Thanks for listening.